So are you ready to retire at 65? I mean, would you want to? Some people don't want to. Jerry Dias, head of the country's biggest private trade union, sure got a lot of folks talking when he penned an editorial for the Huffington Post declaring that if you are near or you are 65, then it's time you step aside. Time you pack it in. Give some younger generations an opportunity. But what if you can't retire? Because we're all living longer. Cost of living's not going down. Some people actually like to work. He couldn't take my stepdad. Well, he loved to work. He worked until he was 80. We had to drag him out when his dementia got too bad. We we're like, it's not going to work anymore. Some people don't want to leave the workforce. And it's great if you're in the, in the public sector. You get a nice cushy um, pension that we've all paid for. Step out at 55. So it's a lofty idea, but for a lot of people, it's just not realistic. So what is the balance? Let's find out. Jerry Dias is the president of Uniform National. He joins me now. Jerry, you sure got tongues wagging, including my own, uh, asking the question. Not really asking the question, but saying, hey, if you're, if you're at 65 or nearing it, get out of the way for the younger generation. And then I say, I, I, can't, I can't go anywhere at 65. I'm going to work till I'm 100 because I, I don't have the pension. Can't do it. So why well, so young? Well, the first thing I would suggest to you is you should probably belong to a union. <laughs> You'll probably then have a better opportunity to retire before you're 100. But look, I mean, it really is a debate about, A, there's a lot of people that are working beyond 65 that certainly have the financial means to leave. So if, in fact, you're not the predicament, you should leave. I, I take a look at the corporate community. I take a look at CEOs that are hanging around in their 70s for no apparent reason. They're making money hand over fist. I look at some of the middle management making all kinds of money that can leave and create room for somebody else and are not. I take a look at labor leaders here in Canada, 68 years old, 70 years old, 72 years old, that have incredible pensions. It's tough for us to be at the bargaining table talking about pensions when people are looking at us, questioning why we're not leaving ourselves. So there's a lot of room for opportunities. And I really think, based on the struggles of young people today, those of us that can leave at 65 should be. Yeah, okay, fair enough. But I, I, look, I look at myself because I can only speak for myself. I'm not near 65, but I'm not young. I'm kind of that, that generation right in the middle where I'm competing against the young people. But it's only now, and I'm sure you probably look at the same way, it's only now that Jerry has the skills or Alex has the skills that I've worked so hard to, to garner, and then you get pushed out. I mean, there is something to be said for experience. Oh, there's no question about it. But experience is something that's garnered over time. So corporations, for because one of the arguments that I hear is, hey, you know, uh, we're not prepared. We're not prepared uh, to move out some of that talent. But a smart company, smart unions, smart businesses, period, plan. You have a long-term strategic plan. You take a look at people. You start to say, how are we going to replace their skill sets? But look, I understand that there's an argument, and it's a good argument from a lot of people that are saying, "Listen, I just can't afford it. Yeah. I, I, I've had, I've been working in precarious part-time work my entire life." But that's a different issue, and it's a different problem. But I think that's so the area we, we're going into. I mean, it's, it's, I know you kind of say in jest, well, not really, probably in jest, join a union. Not, I'm, I'm not in a union. I've been in them, but look, I. I'm in the position I'm in, and the workforce is changing where you get contractual jobs, you get, right. um, you know, the, it, the landscape is changing. And the last thing we need is an older generation at 65 pushed out by the younger generation, because who's going to take care of them? Number one, it was a much bigger problem, I will argue, in the mid-70s, where about 35% 
of all of our seniors were living in poverty. Today it's about six and a half percent, with the majority of that of, of, of those numbers being widows, women widows over the age of 75. So the argument that I'm making is that there's a social responsibility as well. I mean, ultimately, there's been a significant shift. Why? Because of the OAS, CPP, have have gone up significantly over time. So we don't have the same type of poverty levels that we did in the mid-70s because it was a social decision. So I'm suggesting that we should continue to look at it and make the type of necessary moves in order to put people on a reasonable, proper footing, enjoying the retirement years. I think we can do that as a society. Yeah. I don't want, listen, I don't want my 75-year-old mom, uh, grandmother being a Walmart greeter. She yeah. deserves better than that. So ultimately, there is the argument about what it is that I can afford. Can I afford to retire? But B, is there a solution to that? And I will argue that there is a solution. And yeah. it's not by keeping people in the workforce. Yeah, look, I, I can't wait to retire. I wish I could do it tomorrow, but that's the reality I've been dealt. Um, but I do think there's also another issue. Um, people are living longer and they're working longer, but they're also yep. dealing with much, much more expensive health issues. So we have to then factor in at 65, we're starting to deal with real long-term health issues. And we can't even take care of our parents for that. I mean, if you're in that generation as I am, you are taking care of our parents and their medical needs, which are astronomical costs. That also has to be factored in. Look, there's no such thing as simple solutions, complicated problems. But here's what I do know. I do know that I had my parents had great opportunities for jobs. Mm -hmm. I know that I had great opportunities for jobs. I do know that my kids don't have the same opportunities that I had or my grandparents had. So we are now looking at things from a completely different perspective in many different areas. So young people today, I will argue, do not have the same opportunities. So what are we going to do about it? We're going to have to make some changes to accommodate or just write it off. So what I'm saying to the 65, 66-year-old parent that has the ability to retire, take a look at your kids. Well, they're probably living in the basement. Are they well employed? (laughs) Everybody knows people that need a leg up. So this is about, A, challenging people that are in a situation of which they can move on to give people an opportunity. I'm in bargaining right now with the Havlin Aircraft. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a strike deadline tomorrow. What's the issue on the table? Mm -hmm. Pensions. But what I do know is I started there in 1978 as a result of somebody retiring. Mm -hmm. That's what gave me the opportunity. So this is about starting the discussion. This is about having a good discussion about how we get young people an opportunity that they so rightfully deserve. Yeah, and let me just throw in there, you know, let's look at the public sector unions with the teachers, for instance. One of the biggest issues is the fact that younger teachers say they can't get in because the older teachers won't step aside. So would you also uh, be pushing for something like that to say, hey, guys, you've had your chance, time to go? Absolutely. You have teachers who are retiring that are coming back teaching part-time. Yeah. Like, give me strength. They've got an incredible pension. So it's about the discussion. It's about a much broader discussion. But the focus has to be on young people. It has to be about giving young people the same opportunities that we have mm-hmm. and yeah. have had. So it's not any more complicated than that. I just want to start the discussion and saying to people, those of you that have the whereabouts to step aside, step aside and do the right thing. All right. Young people deserve it. Fair enough. We agree to disagree and we, we come back to agree. L- let me ask you, because I've got you on the phone, um, you know, with the whole trade negotiations, you've been a very big part uh, at the table for NAFTA. With what we're seeing now with tariffs, you know, coming, hitting Steeltown, hitting our auto manufacturing and the increased mm-hmm. threats now of extra tariffs against auto, um, the auto sector. I want to know where you're at with, with trade. 
Should Canada at this point be worrying about itself? We could be seeing a change in government in Mexico, and I'm concerned that maybe it's time we get a bilateral deal and make sure Canada and our workers are taken care of. Well, first of all, NAFTA was a colossal disaster. So the fact that nobody is rushing into a bad deal, I feel quite comfortable with. Pre-NAFTA, we had a trade surplus in manufacturing. Today, we have a $120 billion deficit. So we need to fix that. Yeah. Um, the problem with NAFTA, I will argue, is the low wages in Mexico, the lack of real unions, yellow unions, lack of free collective bargaining. So we need to fix that. So for anybody to rush into a deal that doesn't fix that is doing a real disservice, not only to the workers in Canada and the United States, but I will argue also the workers in Mexico. Mm -hmm. But should we be concerned about the fight that we're in? The answer is yes. But yeah. I, I, will, I, I agree with the Canadian strategy with pushing back. Um, the United States has come after us since August of last year when we started NAFTA. Softwood lumber, yep. paper, aerospace, steel, aluminum, auto, auto parts. So it's only since they really slapped the tariffs on aluminum and steel that we started to fight back. So clearly, if they move forward with the tariffs on auto and auto parts, then we are going to have to fight harder than we ever had. I don't see sitting back doing nothing when the United States is pushing hard. I think we have to push back and push back hard. So yeah. I agree with the government strategy. And, but my concern is, Jerry, we'd be it'd be like a chicken punching an elephant. I mean, we just aren't as strong as them. Even if we're right, we just, the auto manufacturing, um, you know, steel industry, they would be decimated if these extra tariffs come in. And Ontario would be deficit. There's some pretty strong chickens out there. <laughs> I'm suggesting that we are not a nation that brings nothing to the table. Yeah. We're a nation that's rich in natural resources and raw materials. We are the United States' number one trading partner. Number one, as it relates to auto, they ship more cars to Canada than they do anywhere else around the world. We're their number one trading partner with 30 U.S. states. We have a major role within their own economy. I understand they're a lot bigger than us, but we're not insignificant. But I will argue to turtle will have much longer negative ramifications than, uh, than, to, than to fight back. Yeah. Ultimately... They've been they pushed us around and pushed us around and pushed us around. And only now they're thinking about holding back because now we're imposing tariffs ourselves. I think we have to fight fire with fire. All right. Well, my fingers are crossed that uh, we get this done. Thank you so much, Jerry, for joining us. I appreciate it. Pleasure is always mine. Take care. Jerry Dias joining us. By the way, those chickens would have to be Frankenstein chickens. Herculean chickens. We can't win that war. Don't want that war. We do not, we do not, but good to chat with Jerry. We'll have him on again. It's funny, I was going to try to get him on earlier in the week because I wanted to talk about trade issues. Now I know.